Yo, 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 podcast listeners. I'm hanging out with Seth Barnes and Josh Owens. These guys are the founders of Global U, an organization that is deploying, empowering, and encouraging entrepreneurs all over the world to start ventures and to do so and ultimately bring back uh, all glory to Christ. It is an amazing Christian organization organization that is bringing a lot of power, uh, a lot of organization, a lot of community around helping entrepreneurs take that next step. They're doing some amazing, amazing work in this space. Seth Barnes is one uh, individual that you could talk to for 12 hours and hear all of his life stories. He's an amazing man. Josh is an up and coming, also equally as accomplished and doing some fantastic crazy, crazy things in the startup space, but as now these two guys have paired things together and launched Global U and they're just doing some phenomenal work. So I just was super excited because faith and entrepreneurship are two things that hold near and dear to my heart. And they found a way to combine those two things and, uh, you know, help empower others to do the same. So Seth, Josh, thank you both for all the impact that you're having. And thank you for being a guest on this podcast. I hope everybody enjoys just as much as I did. Josh, Seth, thank you both so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks for having us, Matt. Should be fun. Um, I think we got a lot, a lot, a lot of different things to cover uh, throughout the course of this podcast. It's going to be a blast. But if you guys are willing, would love, uh, Josh, maybe you can start and Seth, maybe you can uh, follow up, but I would love just to hear your guys' story, whatever you're willing to share. And we can take the conversation from there and hear about some exciting things you guys are up to now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a little bit of background and I probably know where this, where the conversation is going to end up going. So I'll try to pave a path that way. Um, my name is Joshua Owen. Um, I'm from Arkansas originally. Went to the University of Arkansas in 2012, graduated in 2016. Kind of where my story really starts as it pertains to this podcast. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home, really caught a fire for um, what the Lord had for my life. When I was 17, I went on a mission trip to Haiti for a week as short-term mission trips usually do, especially your first one, it'll radically change your life. Um, so a little bit of background. I grew up in a family that is very entrepreneurial, very pick yourself up from your bootstraps. Um, my dad kind of started from nothing, built a greenhouse um, horticulture company. So we supply flowers like Lowe's, Walmart, Home Depot in the central US. So I started working there when I was nine years old, was really kind of born to, uh, to work there. Um, you know, my dad never said that, but you know, when you come from a farming family, that's really kind of the expectation unsaid. But uh, when I was 17, 18. Real, real, real quick on that. Yeah. So whenever you like took a girl on a date pretty early on in life, you always had a nice set of flowers to offer, right? Absolutely. Well, it was more well <laughs> the types of flowers we had. It was more for her mother and her grandmother. So the parents ah. usually <laughs> loved me. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's even better if you could win. The, if you can win the mother over, it's game over. <laughs> yeah, there was never a set of parents who didn't like me. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it tends to work out. You're married now, right? I am married. Yeah. I'm sure your like, wife loves hearing those stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't. her parents love me as well. Her grandmother also loves me. They've gotten their fair share of flowers. So that's been good. Yep. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. All right, cool. <laughs> keep, keep, keep going. Yeah. So anyways, you know, I grew up in that uh, business, kind of learned that business. Um, I went to Haiti when I was 18. Was, at, you know, sad to say, but pretty cynical. Um you know, it's 95% unemployment. If you look at my background, I came from like upper middle class um, white family. Uh, I went to a private Christian school. Like everybody around me was pretty wealthy. Um, 
and it was a very pick yourself from the bootstrap. So when you get when I went to Haiti, it was ninety five percent unemployment. I'm like, man, there's an ocean right there. There's trees over here. Like, um, why is nobody doing anything? And like the most American thing you could ever ask anybody is, what do you do? So when you ask a Haitian, what do you do? They're like, this is what I do. Like I wake up, I sit down, and I just remember the Lord really hammering me. Um, and he was like, okay, Josh, like look around. What do these people have that you don't have? And what I started to realize over the course of that week is these are the happiest people I've ever met in my entire life. These are the most fulfilled people I've ever met in my entire life. And these people have real joy. And that was something I was really missing in my life. And it was something I was missing for my community. Um, and kind of what the Lord revealed to me is like, okay, when you strip everything away, when you have absolutely nothing left, the only thing that you have left is relationship. And um, I mean, that's why we were made, right? I mean, Jesus and God made us to have relationship with us. Um, like that, that is the whole point. So it was kind of this fundamental lesson for me in my life of, oh, like this is what it's all about. Like you hear it, it's kind of what moved it from my head to my heart. Um, and that kind of changed everything. So, you know, it's still 18, still pretty young and naive. I was like, okay, I had received this fundamental belief that the people in the hardest places in the world know lessons that we in America don't learn because they're not, we're not willing to put ourselves through the same amount of pain. Um, but I still wanted those lessons like that lesson really transformed my life. I was like, okay, how do we like only we can, you know, for financial reasons, like Americans, we can go visit, or if you're wealthy, you can go visit. Um, but they can't come to us. So it was this question of, how do we bridge the gap between the poor materially but rich in spirit and the rich materially but poor in spirit? And how do we reverse that to where the people who have got the most important lessons in life can actually come and minister to our communities? So that was kind of the question that got me started. Um, of course, things have changed over the time, but that was the original one. So when I got to college, I was like, okay, I need two things if I want to actually pursue this for the rest of my life. I need to learn how to start a company. And I need to make money so I can get international and I can go work in these communities. So at least, you know, naive 18, uh, I had little faith of what God could actually do. But that's what um, got me started. So I, I built two companies when I was in college. One was Majest Media. Um, so I taught myself how to code. Uh, I had this idea for a music company that we would live stream musicians from kind of all over the world. Um, and allow them to make like a secondary income. Um, we could go into the business model, but that's what we did. So we um, would live stream musicians' concerts and their gigs and like just like their home jam sessions or garage jam sessions and allowed them to make money. Um, and then the second company that I built, I had met two of the smartest guys I'm probably ever going to meet in my life, uh, David Stevens and Matt Engeldow. And we built a company called Cause OS. Um, just a little background there. David was... Uh, he built the Facebook dislike button when he was 13. So it was this, if anybody remembers the early, day, early days of Facebook, there was this big push for um, a dislike button because we're in America and we like the negativity. And uh, he was behind that. So he built the Firefox plugin for your web browser at 2.2 million users. Um, I think the Facebook group had like six or eight million users or six or eight million people on the Facebook group. And then when I met him um, in college, he was running a e-commerce company called Lone Star Hog. And it was just a white t-shirt with a Arkansas Razorback with a Texas flag imposed on it because we had a lot of Texas students at the University of Arkansas. And he was doing $60,000 in revenue. 
it's like, wow, that's a pretty smart guy. And then his roommate, Matt, was um, on the database architecture team for J.B. Hunt. So he was one of the only high school students to ever get hired there. And he's just like a world-class um, database engineer or, and back-end engineer. So we built a company called CauseOS, um, which was a donor management and payment platform for nonprofits. And then if you fast forward to my senior year, kind of everything that all of our dreams um, – kind of came true. We applied for Y Combinator, you know, I think 15,000 companies applied that year. They interviewed 150 and we were one of those 150. And at the exact same time, Lori's like, Hey, why don't you follow me now? Um, so I, we can get into this, but over that four years, I was like, okay, what would it actually look like if we cut our safety nets and we followed the Lord and we actually lived like Paul. And that was the thing that kept me up at night, every night for four years, like two o'clock in the morning, you know, three days a week. I was like, okay, I don't want to ask myself, what if, what would it actually look like if I followed the Lord with everything right now? And at this point in my life where we got Willy Wonka's golden ticket and, you know, we get the interview guys like, Hey, follow me now. So that's kind of where mine and Seth's journeys start to align. So I actually left that company. I went on the world race right after I graduated college. Um, and then Seth and I met. So, and the rest is history. And how many? How many? History. How many? How many email threads later? <laughs> uh, I was Seth. I was telling Matt earlier about six months ago. I checked our email thread count, and we were at fifty six hundred. So uh, we might be in the seven thousand at this point. <laughs> uh, you got to count the stock platform stuff too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, that's that's an awesome, uh, awesome pausing point on Josh's story, and then pick up kind of here here the, the the parallel path and hear Seth's story as well. Seth, you mind diving in a little bit? Your background? Yeah, it's um, actually got a lot of the same sort of themes that you heard in Josh's. I had a uh, life that was going good and. Um, as an entrepreneur, I, I like to start stuff. And when I was a senior in college, I had my wife, um, you know, I was courting her and we were just having a, I, I planned to kind of party the rest of my senior year. And God spoke to me through the crisis going on in Cambodia, the genocide, and said, can I interrupt you here? Would you build something for me? Would you leave everything that you've got and go take care of my children that are dying? And within a couple of weeks, I was on an airplane uh, leaving all of my dreams, all of my uh, hopes for marriage and for business uh, and for fun times with my friends behind. And it radically changed the course of my life. And uh, there were, let's see, 36 uh, farmers at a refugee camp that I help to uh, buy chickens and pigs for and help them to raise those chickens and pigs and eventually sell them. And I saw that entrepreneurship can work even at a very low level. And from there I went on and, and helped pioneer uh, microcredit, which was just taking off in 1980. And, uh, and so that, that was kind of um, the initial part of my life. And from there, God said, you know, that changed your life. Couldn't the same dynamic change the lives of others? And uh, what about giving people the opportunity for their journey? You know, I, I wrote a book called Kingdom Journeys, which is the, the journey that God wants to take all of us on, which is a journey of dependence and eventually brokenness and ultimately intimacy and partnership with God. And 
And so um, starting at Adventures and Missions after having gone to business school was um, me stepping out into the kind of uh, uh, opportunity to start a, a nonprofit instead of a, a business. And it, it, it was hard and um, ultimately led to the world race. And life kind of uh, took a radical turn there. And that's where I, I eventually met Josh. And he and I, uh, you know, began to, to look at the similarities in our lives and began to dream about what would it look like to, you know, have an intergenerational partnership to change other people's lives the way God has changed our lives. I love that. Um, and I, Seth, if you're okay, there's a couple things that I want to, uh, hone in on your story that I'd love just to hear a little bit more. So like the whole concept, when you talked about, uh, helping create micro credit around the ideas of like helping people get access to, um, be able to have chickens that they can later sell, you know, is in a circumstance like that, when you say micro credit, is it legitimately helping somebody get like cash as in money or is it a different type? Like knowing that there's a lot of bartering systems that exist yeah. in third world countries, you know, is it, is it helping people get access to just like literally get a chicken that then they can take and multiply and sell? Or is it, you know, how, how does that work yeah. kind of in the weeds? It's a good question. And for me, initially at the refugee camp, it was more of a barter system. We would take money and uh, buy 300 chickens or chicks actually, and then the food to feed them. And we would give them to the uh, refugees. And then when it came time to sell those chickens, we'd subtract the costs and give them the profit. So that was a little bit, you know, that was a different way of doing things, but eventually it just became cash. And, you know, you, you get a loan and uh, the, the objective was to create one job for a thousand dollars and you give a $5,000 loan to, uh, let's say a, a an aluminum smelting plant, uh, then five people would be hired and the money get paid back and some other entrepreneur would get it next. And so um, currently that same company that I started in 1983 in the Dominican Republic that does, um, does those loans is all over the country and has created hundreds of thousands of jobs by using the same money over and over again. That's that's fantastic. And it's something that I've always been super interested in. I I think I shared this with you, but one of the stories that I listened to when I actually was at Praxis Academy was a guy who went down to um I think it was Nicaragua and basically they looked they were looking at all these different you know, excess trees where it wasn't even a problem of de deforestation. It was actually the opposite. Everything was overgrown. And so he was with his kid who happened to have some Lincoln logs and they decided basically to make the modern day uh, Lincoln log out of excess trees in, in Nicaragua. Well, the cool thing about it, it was it created like 200 jobs for the small community. And these were like American wage jobs. At, I mean, after about 10 years, they got to the point where these were like legitimate, like well-paying jobs and just that whole attitude of like it started with like a very simple process and so getting into like the concept of you know micro loans and you know not necessarily just like literary lines of credit or cash but how do you meet somebody where they're at in the bartering system and that for for I guess this is a question for both of you guys but how have you sort of struggled with or maybe been encouraged by the fact that coming from America and wealth to coming in and saying, Hey, rather than just giving somebody, you know, $10,000 and saying, Hey, go, go fix your problems, but actually meeting them where they're at. How, how have you guys sort of balanced that in both your journeys? 
Go ahead, Josh. Seth, I think you might be the expert on this one. I mean, and Matt, I this is kind of what's really neat about. Uh, it's a little bit detour from your question, but it's really neat about kind of this multi generational mentorship that we have going on. At least with Seth, is like these type of questions are the questions that I have a lot, and I get to throw his away. And you know, I've just come over time just to trust him on these answers. I mean, he's gone through the hard stuff, and there there are differing perspectives, and you've got to sort through it. Uh, but Seth is really the expert on this one, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it over to Seth actually. Huh. He's he's all. <laughs> You know, one of the things a professional made. professional ping pong player. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could you could always edit it out, right? So it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I love it. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Josh is is so respectful, and he's he's just great to work with that way. I I don't know if this is the answer to your question, but I'll say I'll tell you a story. Eventually, <clears throat> I uh, got out of the business of microcredit. I saw that it wasn't enough to just give people loans just to solve their financial problems that uh, there were a lot of other problems that they had as well and ultimately if you, you can solve the pocketbook problem but if you're not solving heart problems then uh, you're, you're just going to have people that um, don't have the hope that really we have the opportunity to give and so i wanted to help people holistically and that's why i really became kind of uh sold out to make disciples i mean i i that's what Jesus asked us to do at the end of uh, his life. And that's where I want to end up my life is just imparting to others the hope that I've got and uh, to give them the, the resources that I've got that will allow them to go further than I've, than I've gone. Uh, I don't know if that, that addresses your question adequately, Matt. Yeah, we could we could probably spend, you know, a whole day specifically covering that topic, but it's just something I've been fascinated by where like, so, you know, in my world, the startup world, and obviously both Josh and Seth, you guys have experienced this as well, too. Uh, just because a company gets $10 million in VC funding doesn't mean they actually create anything of value, right? And so you take that and you scale, I mean, you take the same exact concept down to, you know, maybe a, what we consider to be a financially poor village in a third world or developing country and say, hey, here's all the money that you need to solve your problems. That doesn't fix anything, right? It, it, it right. can... Uh, solve temporary conveniences. It can, if used correctly. But I think the bigger lesson here is how do you how do you, how do you fix that one statement of how do you take that resources and use it correctly? There's you know the number of VC backed companies that have totally flopped that got tons and tons of funding that didn't help anything. And I think actually oddly enough, similar lessons apply to developing countries and how we help them as well too. So just just something I, I kind of been chewing on as well. But I think. Um, you know, for Seth, for you with, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk about AIM for a little bit. Obviously, it's it's near and dear to my heart with both Ronnie and Casey and, and Kate uh, be involved in that whole world. Do you mind just kind of explaining what the original dream was for that and kind of the, the, the intention of that and how in a, a positive way or, or however you want to frame it, it's it's shifted or maybe remained the same? We'd love to hear a little bit more about the AIM background and, and the World Race background. Yeah, I, again, it goes back to the story that I shared where I had seen people in in hard, hard situations where they didn't even have food. They didn't, they'd lost family members. I mean, these were the people that God talks about in Isaiah 58, where he says, you know, if you'll 
feed and clothe and house those that are, that are near to me, to my heart, then I'll take care of you. It's an exchange that he wants to make. So we often think, well, you know, religion is going to church. Religion is, you know, doing the right thing. And it, we think of a set of rules. And God says that true religion is about caring for people in distress, people like uh, widows and orphans, he calls them in, in the book of James. And so I, um, I saw that, like I experienced that. I saw, I, I didn't have much as a poor student, you know, far from home, but it changed my life. I was happy. It was, it was a challenge and it was a thrill to, to join with God. And, and um, you know, I, I, I say that God is a, a family man. And he wants his family back. He's a father who, who misses his children. And, and we're his plan to get the family back. We're plan A and there is no plan B. So I just thought, wouldn't it be great to give people that opportunity and uh, to take them on trips where they could, in a righteous way, partner with local pastors and local ministries to, uh, to help and to, to bring hope. And uh, short-term missions has gotten a bad rap, but I think because it can be done poorly, but done correctly, uh, Jesus used short-term missions to disciple. That was his primary tool. He took his disciples for three years. He said, watch me. And then he said, okay, now it's your turn. And then he said, now teach others. And if we'll just do that, then, uh, you know, that's how you make disciples, not by sitting in a Sunday school room and, and dealing with things abstractly and ultimately becoming a hypocrite. So to, to sum up, you know, that's what I did. I said, uh, all right, I'm going to start Adventures and Missions. It wasn't easy. There's a lot of brokenness in the process. I was just a, you know, a dumb kid. I didn't know what I didn't know. And, um, but God took me through a, um, you know, that, that process of breaking and eventually uh, learning that I could hear the Lord's voice and to be able to impart that to my kids and then to others along the way and to use the process of listening prayer to understand what God wanted to do in any given ministry context really became kind of uh, the core of, of how we at Adventures and Missions uh, seek to empower the, the church. And um, ultimately, I think we've taken over 120,000 people to the mission field, many of them on the world race. And... Um, I say, you know, that's just the start. Jesus, if he took his disciples for three years, the best of the disciples wasn't doing so well at the end. You know, Peter's denying Jesus after spending three years with him. And the rest of us need that same kind of grace to eventually, you know, have our struggles, but to land on the right side of that relationship and to, to do as Josh is wanting to do, which is to serve him all of, all of his life and to not die with regrets. So that's the kind of the essence of um, what we're about. That's amazing. Yeah, that's I just knowing obviously some of the inside of things with 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 Casey, Ronnie, and Kate, and just hearing their background and the in, like the influence that that just the World Race trip has, and then also working uh, for for Aim as well too. It's been pre- pretty amazing. So it's it's inspiring to hear sort of where that whole background came from, which I I think is actually a pretty perfect. Uh, transition into what you guys are doing with Global U because you're taking sort of what seems like a reasonable, similar 
path, but adding the element of entrepreneurship to it, which I think is cool to rope Josh into the whole conversation as well, too. So do you guys mind giving some background context around Global U, and then we can dive in a little bit to where you guys are headed next? Sure. So, I mean, Seth and I, or Matt, we were talking about this before we started the podcast. Seth is an idea generator to the max. Um, I think Global U really got started. So me and at least origin stories from my end. Seth will have his own origin stories. I know he's been he's been thinking about this problem for 30 years. I just kind of came along at the right time, maybe. Um, but one of the first projects that Seth and I started working on was a um, church planning in India. And basically how that got started was, well, Seth had asked me, hey, like, how do I get to know you? How do I do my due diligence on you and vice versa? And really, the only way you get to know someone, in my opinion, is you have to work with them. So we're just like, okay, what is the hardest? What's the hardest problem in the world at the moment? And let's go work on it together. So we went to India. While I was in India, and right before, I was really kind of thinking through with a few buddies uh, this problem around education and how education didn't really work for us. So just to give you some backgrounds, me, Lewis Patterson, Daniel Fritchie, and they've all kind of play their part in this story a little bit. Um, but like I said, like me growing up in college, college, you know, I, my dream originally was to be a high frequency trader on wall street. So I wanted to go into financial engineering, um, wanted to create derivatives and then kind of the Lord's dreams for me shifted and I just started building companies in college. And so I switched my business, my major over to business out of engineering. And it just didn't work. I mean, it was a lot of, it was all theory. Um, there was nothing in practice. Like I was actually building a company um, and really nothing applied to what I was doing or building two companies. And so I viewed college more than anything. I made this decision kind of the end of my freshman year that college for me was going to be four years of socially acceptable time to build and learn the things that I wanted to learn and build because uh, I wasn't getting it out of the classroom. But uh, I mean, you know, college for me, it, it did pay itself. Like, I think I got my money's worth out of it, but it wasn't through what I was learning in the classroom. It was through the connections that I was able to make while I was in college. I think a lot of people have that same experience. So me and a couple of friends, we were just kind of reflecting on this. We all had similar stories. Lewis um, is a doctor in physical therapy. Daniel is an industrial engineer, has his MBA. Um, and we were kind of thinking through this. I had just come off the race. I had seen that internationally education was just I mean, incredibly cheap. I mean, a lot of places in Europe was actually free to go to college up until a few years ago. I mean, Costa Rica is like $300 a semester. Um, I mean, just all over the world. Like, um, if you're going to go to India and you're going to get your master's in computer science, I mean, that's like $1,000 or $3,000 max. Where in the US, you know, that's a fifty dollars to $100,000 um, master's degree, depending on what college you go to. And I was really struggling with, okay, why is there this disparity when the quality of the education isn't um, necessarily that much better, and especially for entrepreneurs. So I shot off an email to Seth. I was like, hey, well, why don't we look at this problem? And um, why don't we look at what one of the issues that we were seeing with the race? Um, and I'm, I'm going to have to backtrack a little bit, but we went on the world race and you have people from all over the U.S., and they decide, okay, I'm, I want more for my life. I want more for my life than what I'm getting out of my job. And I actually want to follow the Lord with my whole heart. And so they go, they have this life transforming experience and it will change your life. Um, 
But when they get back, they keep going back to the same hometown and job and place that they were at before, which is not a bad thing. Um, it's only a bad thing if you actually wanted to keep living that life, if you wanted to keep living internationally, you wanted to keep um, living on the mission field. And a lot of them do. But they didn't have the skill sets to change their environment. So they had changed on the inside, but they hadn't changed their skill sets. So that's kind of where this conversation started. And I was just like, hey, Seth, why don't I, um, you know, I'm a computer programmer. I taught myself how to program, done pretty well in this arena. Why don't, you know, as an MVP, um, why don't I just go on one of these world race trips and teach people how to code for, you know, 11 months? They'll definitely know how to code. They'll be able to land a job when they get off the field. And then we can go from there. Um, and at least then they would have a prerequisite skill set where they could um, make a living anywhere in the world. But as Seth does, he kind of blew that one up and took it to another level. So um, that, that's kind of the origins on my side. And then Seth really, he had spent a lot of time thinking through higher education. And he's been, uh, I mean, he's been thinking about this for 30 years. So um, we got together and started building Global U. How many different, like, Josh, when this was for obviously the first thing you thought about was code. You self, you know, you were self-taught. This is something you you learned yourself. How many different sort of tangible skill sets, or maybe outside of code, what were some other tangible skill sets that you guys were thinking through? Of like, hey, could we give people the certification to say I could do X, Y, Z? Were there were there others outside of like code and programming that sort of at the adolescent stage of this? Yeah, I mean, I think in our original white paper that we put together, I, there was definitely some ideas around film and music and, and, and some of these industries where you don't need um, kind of the certificate. We ended up always circling back, in a large part me and kind of my stubbornness, but we always kept circling back to programming uh, for a few reasons. One, um, it's kind of one of the few industries where um, kind of with the evolution of the internet, it has allowed like any 11 year old to get on a computer and learn how to code. And then by the time they get of age where they're looking for jobs, they don't actually need a certificate because they've got all these projects that they've built up over the last 10 years um, that you can look at. And with programming, you can actually look at code and know exactly what that person knows. It's unique in that way. And the barrier to entry is so low. So like um, kind of example, I always always give like, computer science versus regular engineering. So let's take civil engineering, for example, and let's say you're going to build bridges. Well, if a company is going to give you a couple million dollars to go build a bridge, they've got to know for without a shadow of a doubt that you know how to build a bridge because there's a lot of capital on the line. Um, and so you have to go through extensive training. Um, you need that certificate to validate that you know how to build a bridge. You've got to have all this prerequisite knowledge because um, they don't really know until you've done it. But what's nice thing about code is like all you need is a computer. So you can pick up a Chromebook for, you know, I don't know, 150 bucks now or a Raspberry Pi for 20 bucks and you can learn to code. And that barrier to entry and that risk that companies are taking on individuals is like basically nothing because they can just look at your code. You either know how to do it or you don't know how to do it and you don't need that certificate. So that's kind of why we really focused on programming in the beginning. Um, kind of from an industry is already known and accepted that good programmers don't necessarily need degrees. Um, sure, it plays a factor into it. If you go to MIT, you're going to get hired over someone who's probably self-taught nine times out of ten. Um, Which is funny to me. Uh, so Wedge, our, our Patrick, our CTO, the guy who built wedge from the ground up is entirely self-taught. He didn't go to didn't go to college. He went to high school. Uh, either 
uh, was late to classes or slept through classes because he was up all night self, you know, self teaching. He was teaching himself all the different code that he knows. And he, to this day, I have yet to run into and heard him referred as one of the most brilliant programmers and backend engineers that anybody's come across, which to me is super inspiring. So I totally get where this is all coming from. Yep, definitely. And that's the exact reason why we ended up landing on that. Um, of course, we pivoted out to focus more on entrepreneurship later on um, in the life cycle. But, you know, that was kind of the origins of why we decided to go down that route. I like that. I like that. So, you know, how do you pair, how do you pair like the, the, the combo of like giving people a skill that they can learn with low barrier of entry to entrepreneurship? Was that something that you guys always had intention of bringing together, always had intention of keeping separate? How does that, how, how does sort of the walking away or providing people with a skill set meet, we want to empower people to start their own gig? I'm firing off easy questions, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, Seth, if you want to take that. I mean, one of it, you know, at the end of the day, the way I view programming, um, I, I'm not, I, I do love programming. I love computers. Um, but I, to me, it's a means to an end. And what's really important with what we're trying to do, right, is we're trying to go into the world. We're trying to create opportunities for people in every country. We're trying to, you know, create opportunities for our peers, and what you need more than anything is you need to learn how to change your environment. Um, that's, you know, at the bottom line, I think that's basically what entrepreneurship is, is changing your environment. So you, you see a need in the world and you want to change the world um, to meet that need. So programming was a means to an end. Um, but our heart, both Seth and I's heart, like we're entrepreneurs at heart. And I personally use programming at just to gain leverage like if i can write a line of code and it's going to run all day 24 hours a day for the rest of my life um and it's going to do an essential task i never have to do again that is like a huge competitive advantage and if you're able to build your own tools so um let's say you can't avoid like right now we're using zencaster and let's just say for whatever reason you can't afford zencaster but you can program zencaster that's a huge competitive advantage and, and that's a little cliche but that comes up over and over so it actually, you know, even with for us, like for Global U, like all of our infrastructure, websites, backend, um, CRM systems, like we built from scratch because we started, we bootstrapped this whole thing. So we started at zero. We were able to build a viable company from scratch because we knew how to program and we could build all of our own tools. And so that's how it combines with entrepreneurship. At the end of the day, we teach entrepreneurship through a technical lens. Um, so we're focused on entrepreneurship. We're focused on changing the world. We're focused on building sustainable companies, but we give all of our students this competitive advantage, um, called programming. So I want to hear both your answers on this as well too, but if you, if you could check the box of what you started out with, what you guys both wanted to do with global U and you influence one person's life, what sort of, what, what sort of influence do you want that to be on that person's life? What do you want them to be empowered, equipped, learn, taught? What, what do you want them walking away from the global U experience having accomplished or done or learned? Josh is being quiet, which means it's my cue to speak up. Um, Josh, you, <laughs> he used the word leverage. And what we want to do is to give those um who have you know the capacity to start something that may actually be an important component of an ecosystem, the the tools that they need, and uh, that person is typically called an entrepreneur. Uh, an entrepreneur you know, starts with an idea. You add some resources, some people, 
and pretty soon you've got a business or a ministry and you're changing the world in some tangible way. And that's what we want to do. We want to create an ecosystem where people can not just, um, you know, get jobs, which is kind of how I started in, in life is helping people to get jobs, but also to, to be trained to realize their dreams. And, and so we, we thought that by beginning with entrepreneurs, we would create um, or we, we'd give young people the capacity to, to start these businesses and ministries that would in turn ultimately employ their classmates or uh, future students, and that ultimately we would have uh, a large network of uh, businesses and ministries that are complementary and help fuel one another. So we use mentors. Mentors have uh, businesses, sometimes angel investors, sometimes, uh, you know, they're, they're large uh, coding businesses themselves, and they're hiring people from Global U as apprentices, but ultimately they might go there and, uh, and work with the company and uh, learn how to start their own business like that. So we're, we're trying to uh, build something that's going to be generative and uh, much larger than any single company, but it, ultimately I call it an ecosystem where people of similar values who want to serve the Lord, build the kingdom, can find not just employment, but community and a place to grow. I mean, you know, Matt, thinking through this too, and and kind of from our background, like Seth and I, when we got started, we didn't have mentors. Um, We we were kind of figuring out everything on our own. And we kind of have this saying that like, if you're going to do anything great in the world, it's going to take 10 years. Like if you're actually going to change the world, it's going to take 10 years. It's not going to be a one year, two year, three year journey. Um, And I think to do that effectively, you don't want to do that alone. Um, I, I know that from firsthand experience. So a lot of the, you know, a lot of this is a little bit personal for me, but you know, in college, like when we were, you know, when me, Matt and David were doing this, I mean, you know, we were sleeping on a couch till like I would crash at their place at three o'clock in the morning. My roommate never saw me. We were working 50 hours a week on top of school, like almost flunking out of school. We didn't really have anybody pouring into us and it wasn't really a great community. And, um, and there was only a few of us. I mean, out of the entire uh, I was in a new venture finance class in college and there basically the professor went around and he was just searching for everybody who was actually building a company. And out of like, you know, the 25,000 students at the University of Arkansas, there was six of us um, and we were all in this one class together. And so really, I think if you're going to make great change in the world, especially when you're starting young, um, you need peers and you need mentors that have gone before you and you need people who are willing to run that race with you for 10 years. So like more than anything at the end of the day, what we're building and what we're filtering for is like everybody who comes through global U we're, we're very, at least I'm very clear, like in the final interview of like, Hey, this is going to be the hardest year of your life. Uh, or it should be, it should be one of the hardest years of your life. Um, not just to make it hard, but cause you're going to be on a 10 year journey and if we can make it really hard in year one. Um, there's, you know, the next nine years might be easy. And we're going to provide you with a network or we're building a network that is going to continue to be around for the next 10 years because this is who we are. This isn't something like we chose to do one day. It's like we have just found a network of mentors and students who this is the way we're built and we're going to build businesses for the kingdom. Um, and that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives. So if you want to be a part of that network, like here it is. Like here's kind of the home for those people who... Um, 
you know, it's kind of a needle in a haystack. I mean, you've got like the ministry people um, and I love them. They've poured in my life. They've changed my life and they're very pastoral. And then you've got, you know, real entrepreneurs that are in like regular industry. Um, and those two worlds don't really collide that often. You're, you know, you kind of have the industry people over here and they're going to fund ministry if they feel called to. And then you've got the ministry people over here are very pastoral. Uh, but every once in a while, like one out of a thousand, you're going to find someone who is, they want to live life like Paul. Or they want to be sold out. They want to do ministry, but they've got this weird skill set that doesn't really fit into that world um, called entrepreneurship. And if you're that person, we're kind of the place to go. Yeah, that's when when it's articulated like that, the whole concept of we want to we want to empower people to create um, kingdom impacting businesses and companies and even pursue ideas in that in that magnitude. We're the place that you want to go. We're the place that can help support that, mentor that, guide that. I mean, that that makes it sort of uh, impossible not to want to join on with you guys. So I, I I feel pretty inspired by that, and that's something that obviously we've continued to chat throughout the course of this. That's that's kept me pretty pretty excited about what you guys are doing. So, um, both I guess both Seth and Josh, we we've been talking offline a little bit. Where where does Global U go from here? What's kind of the next biggest initiatives? What's the next big focus that you guys are working towards? Um, Obviously, it's it's getting you know many 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 you know early stage entrepreneurs or people who are excited to 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 go through the program and go through those challenges, Josh, as you alluded to. But sort of, what's the next big push for you guys? We have a problem right now called COVID, and whereas we would normally be in uh, next month in like Guatemala or Nicaragua, we're going to be in Gainesville, Georgia. We're going to be in a camp, and it uh, doesn't mean we can't. Uh, you know, have a great time and really challenge people and maybe establish a platform for their dreams to be founded. But ultimately, um, you know, we're, we're pivoting and it's good. It's the good news is we teach pivoting. We teach people how to be flexible in an uncertain environment. And they get to, to do that right from the get go, because we don't know what the future holds in terms of, uh, you know, the, the world environment. Will we be able to travel again or not? So um, our challenge is in this kind of an environment, how do we communicate our value proposition? And, you know, we are, are uh, still in the process of pivoting and maybe programming isn't as important as a requisite, but maybe establishing a business here in America right off the bat is. And maybe we need to uh, find funding through angel investors that will attract people. And uh, so we're looking at, do we establish a, a an accelerator now? And uh, do we begin to uh, really uh, apply the screws on quick adoption of uh, the MVP process and, and um, getting out into the marketplace with your idea and seeing if it works or not? And we're, we're still in process on some of that. Well, like any true startup, even helping mentor startups, you're constantly <laughs> pivoting, making changes, making slight iterations. So I think it's only par for the course that some of those processes are still being ironed out. The good news, yeah, is that's that that's the funny thing we pitch to the the students is you know they're living in a. I mean, definitely last year and our first go around, I mean, they're living in a startup, so they got to see you know the raw behind the scenes the entire time as they applied it to their own companies. 
That's right. That's exactly right. Which I think I, I think you're doing a shame to a startup founder if they don't experience that. If they don't experience the pain of just like the constant like figuring things out, I, I think that's an injustice to a startup founder. Definitely. Awesome. Well, uh, my my favorite question, typically how I how I uh, like to um, and wrap up a show. My favorite question on the whole planet is, what is it that ultimately gets you guys out of bed in the morning? And that can certainly be in the context of Global U and what you're doing with that. But more broadly, what is it that that sort of fires up, continues you guys to do what you do to you know deal with the startup stress of not being able to sleep at night or not knowing what the next day is going to look like what is it that drives you forward and keeps you guys fired up excited with the energy that you both have uh to have kingdom impact what what, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning for me it's uh the problem of how poorly we do the inheritance process here in america we uh, don't do succession planning particularly well we uh, don't hand physical resources, monetary and otherwise, off very well. We certainly don't hand our values off to our, our children or to, to those that we might be discipling as well as we could. So I, I have been blessed with uh, so many resources, so many uh, friends and associates, my, certainly my family, my wife. I've uh, got incredible uh, you know, experience behind me, and and uh, I've got some financial resources. Uh, currently, with Global U, you know, the team that we've got, it's it's just such an amazing platform for uh, this process of inheritance, for giving the learning of one generation, uh, a group of mentors, to the next generation, which is needing exactly that, which is needing to know well, how did you do it, and. If you made a mistake and it cost you four years, and I've made mistakes that have cost me, you know, a lot more than four years, how would you uh, do things differently? What what can I do to avoid that? And I just want to do a better job of the inheritance process than I see uh, done in the church and that I see uh, done uh, in the marketplace. I want to hand off everything that God's given me. I want my last check to bounce. You know, I, I don't. I don't think there's any point in hanging on to a bunch of resources. I think they need to be appropriately given away so they can be stewarded and handed off to the next generation. That's powerful stuff, Josh. What about for you? Yeah, so I, I, I probably alluded to this to the beginning. I mean, one of the things that I've said for a long time. Um, yeah, no, I, I really want three things in my life. Um, one is when I die. So when I die, I, I, like I'm going to be going home to my best friend. I hope the Lord feels like his best friend's coming home. Um, the second thing is at some point in my life, I'd like the Lord to say, hey, you know, you're a man after my own heart. And then the third thing is I want to be a part of something so big that nobody said could say that I could do it, um, but only God could have done that. So those are the three things I want in life. And then really kind of the vision statement for our lives I've um, been pursuing for – I don't know, five years now is to go to the hardest places in the world um, to see them become the best in the world, to not just create business, but to create industry so that the poor materially, but rich in spirit could reach my community, which is rich materially and poor in spirit. Um, and, that, and that really plays into Global U. I mean, our long-term vision for this thing, I mean, you know, we want to see students from all over the world going back to, you know, the countries that, that they're living in and really building industry. 
um, so that, you know, they, you know, the people, whether you're doing mission work or you're doing what we're doing, you, you just, you do see that. I think most people in the world, if you're going to ask them, okay, who has the most potential? They're going to say, well, it's going to be uh, the graduates at MIT, Princeton, Harvard, Stanford, right? Those are the people um, with the most potential. And I would really flip that and say, okay, actually the people with the most potential are the people living in the hardest places in the world because they live, they learn lessons that we're never going to learn because we're not willing to put ourselves to the pain that, that they went through. And as long as it doesn't break them, um, they, they have the most potential because they've learned those fundamental lessons. Um, and so reaching those people, um, is kind of why I get out of the bed. I love that. I love that. Well, both Josh and Seth, I just want to say a huge thank you. Um, we obviously could probably take this to be a 10 hour long podcast on many different topics, but just hearing both your backgrounds, obviously different perspective, different, you know, age generational gap, but how you guys both have this, you know, very, very similar mission and also the entrepreneurial side of things definitely has a special place in my heart. Uh, so I just want to say a huge thank you to both of you. We'll include links and info, um, for Global U uh, in the podcast, uh, the show notes as well too. But is there anything else you guys want to leave the audience with? I guess, uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur like the three of us, if you uh, have struggled in school to not be bored and to find people who look like peers, then we're a good option for you. And uh, we love to pour into young people with dreams who aren't content to just sit sit with their dreams but actually want to see them come to pass and uh, love to love to pour into you and uh, consider checking us out it's amazing awesome well thank you so much for uh both josh and seth for being a guest on this podcast absolutely thanks for having us Matt. yeah it's been a pleasure You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.